You're listening to an audio message from Harvest Bible Chapel in Granger, Indiana. For more information, visit our website at harvestgranger.org. Good evening, Harvest Bible Chapel, Granger. What's going on? All right, all right. Glad to be here. My name, again, is Kurt. Greetings from uh, the church, Harvest Bible Chapel in Chicago. What do you guys call Harvest Bible Chapel in Chicago, that megalith? uh, What do you call that? Mothership, all right, yeah. That's better than the mother church. That's not really our thing. Um, Big Harvest. Uh, Greetings. I'm on the pastoral staff of one of the campuses there in Rolling Meadows and have been there in Chicago for six months. Um, Actually, I've been in that position for six months. We've been there, our family's been there for over a year. Um, We have been in the fellowship for over seven years, and so I met Trent in 2009 when he was just a wee lad, and um, actually came to Harvest here in Granger uh, to train underneath him, and you didn't have this beautiful facility, nor did you have a second campus. God's been, he's been kind and gracious to this congregation, hasn't he? Are there anybody here, is there anybody in the service that was here um, on launch Sunday? And uh, I think I've met maybe just a few of you. I remember you, friend, and uh, good evening. So welcome from uh, the the mother campus, the mother, uh, not church, what did you call it again? Mothership, there you go, that's right, and uh, the mothership, let's go with that. And uh, greetings from the elders and and staff there in Chicago, greetings from my family. Uh, I have a wife, Julie, and six children. All God's people said, whoa, and uh, (laughs) it's true, six kids, and um, we're enjoying that very much, very, very much by the grace of God. At this point, I know what you're thinking. All right, Lumberjack, you got a sermon for us? All right, get it on, fella, and uh, let me tell you first about Marvin Shure. January 17, 2009, when the paramedics made way into Marvin Shore's entrance, they found something ghastly. It was in the middle of winter in Michigan. Marvin Shore, in his own home, had frozen to death. It's awful, frankly. He was a man 92 years old. They say that dying of hypothermia is one of the most painful and grueling deaths that anyone can endure. You see, what had happened was is that he was behind paying the electrical company, and so the electrical company put a limiter on his, the usage of electricity in his home. And because of that, in the dead of winter, uh, he perished, freezing to death. Well, that was a sad and tragic story, really a gruesome one in some ways. But another piece of news hit uh, Bay City, Michigan, about a week later. Bay City Medical Center had received a donation, $600,000 from the estate of Marvin Shore. This was a man that was tremendously, famously wealthy, hundreds of thousands of dollars at his disposal, and yet did not appropriate all of those riches to his greatest need, which is simply the electricity bill so that he could sustain his own life. It's my impression that sometimes Christians are like Marvin Shore. They have vast riches at their disposal and yet fail to appropriate those riches, make them their own, and receive the joy and value of those riches. I am so thankful that your church is wanting to go deeper. In the Christian life, there is no plateauing. There is no legitimate reason for plateauing. There's no legitimate purpose in plateauing. If we're going to pursue Christ as he's pursued us, then by all means, let us go. What's the word, let us go? deeper. And if we're going to go deeper, we're going to go deeper in all that he is, 
in all that he has said, in all that he has for us, in all of the riches, in all of the value that he puts forth for us. And I'm so excited for your deliberate consideration of the book of Ephesians that is gonna encourage you to go deeper in all of the identity that he has procured for you and all of the activity that he is inaugurating for your benefit. So if we're gonna go deeper, you know what friends, we're gonna go deeper as it relates to our commitment to the local church. Let's go to the text. Open your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 2. Because in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 through 8, Peter gives us four values or four reasons to prioritize the local church. Why should we put the local church first? Well, there's value in putting the local church first, and Peter's going to tell, you, tell us about that value. And I want you to understand the value of the priority of the local church in our individualistic society where we tend to come and go as we please and we tend to judge everything like a consumer, evaluating what we like and don't like and choosing and moving as we choose to move. The scriptures would call us to a deeper level of commitment to the priority of the local church. And 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 through 8 teaches us that. Let me read it for you. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in scripture, behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So, the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. We see here that Peter has written for us the value of the priority or putting the church first. We're going to first consider this value here found in verse five, spiritual growth. You see, we're called to come to Christ the living stone. While rejected by men, we're called to come to him, which is a word of acceptance in verse four. We're called to accept him. We're called to, to receive him. We're called to draw near to him. We're called to come to him. Even though the world has rejected him, we're called to come to him. And we ourselves, he is the living stone, but we ourselves, what does it say in verse five? You yourselves like, what does it say? Living stones. And so we come to him like living stones and we're being, what is the verb there? Like living stones are being what? Built up. This is spiritual growth. The first design of the church is to receive the spiritual growth that the church provides. Now let's orient a little bit as we're thinking about these terms, cornerstone, living stones. I want you to understand that what Peter's referring to here is the local church. Through God's revelation of himself to his people, he was regularly finding an abode, a house, a dwelling place, so that he could reveal himself to the congregation. Thinking back in Old Testament terms, what were those abiding places called in the Old Testament? What were they called? What were those special places called where God's people gathered and God revealed himself? What were they? Yeah, word harvest, you can say it out loud. What was it? 
tabernacle. Does somebody say tabernacle? That's right. That was the first one, Exodus 40. The tabernacle was the place where God was willing to reveal himself, and so he gave, he prescribed it to Moses. Moses built it, and then it says in Exodus 40 that Moses couldn't even go in because God's glory filled the tabernacle. Absolutely amazing. But the tabernacle is a tent and it was temporary, it was made out of cloth, and it would be moved as the nation of Israel moved. And so David, while he dwelled in a house made of stone, he saw the tabernacle made out of cloth, and he thought that that wasn't right. He said, I live in a house, why don't I build a house for my God? And what was the name of that house that he wanted to build? It was the what? The temporal. He said the tabernacle, a temporary place, is not okay for my God. If I'm living in a permanent place, now that we control Mount Zion in Jerusalem, let's build a temple for God, a permanent dwelling place made out of stone. And so the tabernacle then gave way to the temple under the leadership of his son Solomon. And so we have this tabernacle and this temple. And then when the Jews would have read John 1.14, and it said that Jesus Christ came and tabernacled among us, it would have blown their minds. <laughs> they would have just asked, like, what? What John is saying is Jesus Christ becomes the place where people gather and then experience the fullness of God's revelation. As the tabernacle was, as the temple was, so Jesus Christ himself becomes that location where people gather to receive a full measure of his revelation. And then what Jesus does, so it goes from the tabernacle to the temple to Jesus himself, then what Jesus does is he inaugurates the church. The house of God is the church. The place where we gather corporately, the place where we learn about God, the place where we learn from each other about God and from the scriptures about God and we sing to God's glory, it occurs in the church. So when you look at all of this past and you realize that God is yearning to commune with his people and he establishes a place called different things along the way, now he has given us the local church. And who is the chief cornerstone of this local church? What's his name? Jesus Christ. Now look for just a moment in Ephesians chapter two. I know you'll be there in just maybe a few weeks or a few months. But in Ephesians chapter two, it ends with these verses, because I want to, again, what I'm trying to do is help you to understand that Peter's language of cornerstone and living stones is his reference to the local church. So Ephesians two is gonna help us this from the pen of Paul. Just to reference these last three verses in Ephesians two. Built on the foundation, the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you are being built together into a what? A dwelling place for whom? For God, by the Spirit. So the church, and this is what Peter is telling us, is the place where Jesus Christ, the cornerstone, we build on that living cornerstone with us as living stones to become the spiritual location where God reveals himself and we receive all that we need from God and can go deeper to know him and to follow him faithfully. It happens in the church. The church is this location primarily where we are able to grow in our relationship with the Lord. And what we're learning here first is that we're being built up. Back in 1 Peter 2, we're being built up 
as a spiritual house. God lives here. The Holy Spirit has inaugurated this. Christ Jesus is the chief cornerstone. Let me tell you about the cornerstone. You see, we don't really build buildings anymore by stone. We build them by a foundation of concrete or wood, typically. But in that day, um, they hadn't they weren't using concrete widely, and so they built houses out of stone. Anybody been to Israel before? There, there, there's, there's stones everywhere, okay? There's rock everywhere. So they would carve out some limestone and they would uh, start with the chief cornerstone. Now the cornerstone would determine the orientation of the house, the size of the house, and would then inform all the other stone positions within the building. The cornerstone determines so much about the structure itself, and Christ Jesus is the chief cornerstone of our spiritual house, God's house, and our house too. But we are, the first value that we see here from Peter is that we are being built together, growing together. I'm not sure if this building is made out of bricks or not, uh, there's stones, but those are faux. That's not like an actual structural stone there, so that's kind of a fake out. But um, <clears throat> what value does a brick have just by itself? Strength. Uh, what's that? Strength. strength by itself? Well, you can build strength. Is that what you're saying? Like what work out? I'm not sure. You could use it as a paperweight or maybe to hold your door open, but an individual brick by itself doesn't really what? Doesn't really do very much. But if you stack brick on brick with mortar of truth and love, you have a building, you have a structure, you have being built together a spiritual house for God's glory. Here's the point that Peter's making, is that we need one another. Beloved, do you not recognize that our sovereign Father has equipped you wonderfully with spiritual gifts in Christ and has limited you mercifully to expose your need for others? Every last one of us. And if you're more aware of your gifts than your weaknesses, that's called pride. And to my shame, I'm close to the front of that line. My point is this. We're being built together relying on one another, depending on each other, as living stones connected to the chief cornerstone. We're building and growing together. It is staggering to me that as God inaugurated his spiritual house, that he didn't just do it himself, that he, he drew us into the process. What grace, what goodness. Hey, my man, he wanted you to be a spiritual stone in his house. He called you. He called you to be a spiritual living stone in his local church here at Harvest in Granger. He called you. He called all of us to play a role in the local church for the glory of God because we are redeemed, we're saved, we're born again to be his living stones and to build up this incredible house for God's glory here in this community. Spiritual growth is this fantastic blessing that he gives to us, related to the local church. You see, a lot of times we imagine that our spiritual growth is a private, personal endeavor. And for sure, if you're not refreshing your heart and soul in the quiet hours of the morning or the evening, between you and your God abiding in Christ, you will shrivel up and you will, you'll suffer. 
But do you not also see the absolute need for us to be, what does it say? Built up, built together into a spiritual house. It's us being edified and growing together. I want to encourage you about your participation in small groups. Is that what you call them here, small groups? Core groups, life groups, small groups. Let's go with small groups. Small groups. Where are you at in your participation in small groups? This is a very simple application associated with you being built together like living stones for the glory of God. Are you in a small group? If you're in a small group, are you just checking the boxes, phoning it in, or are you pulling it down? Are you taking personal spiritual responsibility for someone else in your small group? Do you have an aspiration to grow your leadership profile, to become an apprentice and to grow, and maybe become a small group leader someday, so that you would have the opportunity to see the expansive movement as the ministry grows and small groups develop and multiply, that you have a role in that? If you are a small group leader, do you have the vision to become coach? Flock leader. Flock leader, are you leading a flock? If you're leading a flock, do you want to engage people? Where are you as a living stone in this spiritual house of God? Oh dear, for the glory of God, dear saints, go deeper in what it means to receive the spiritual growth of being built together because we need the integration and the partnership and the being stacked and relating to one another as the chief cornerstone fills our lives and then fills each other for the glory of God. This is the first value of prioritizing the local church. If you're not in a small group, can I just invite you to consider being in one? Even in the service right now, prayerfully consider your willingness to try a small group. I would encourage you, by the way, in the note she's in front of you, if you're not in a small group, just jot down the reasons why, just between you and the Lord. But jot down the reasons why you're not in one and take that before the Lord in prayer so that you can be built up as living stones in God's spiritual house. This is the first value of prioritizing the local church. The second value is found in the same verse. It is a new calling. Let's consider verse five again. I'll read the whole thing. You yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a what? Is, what does it say? To be a what? A, what is that next phrase? Built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Now, I'll remind you, do you remember who Peter was um, the apostle to or who he wrote uh, this epistle to? Paul was the apostle to the whom? Paul was the apostle to the Gentiles, that's right. And different from that, Peter was a, uh, an apostle to whom? To the, to the Jews. And so he writes here that he's writing to the Jews that are in dispersion. So he's writing to Jewish people. And at this point, they... Their minds would have been blown that they actually were a living stone in God's spiritual house. But what he says next, related to the second value, would absolutely just, they would turn into spiritual ash. They would just absolutely just would have been blown away. The second value of putting church first in your life is a new calling. This new calling, what Peter says, is a holy priesthood. Now, let's reference this for a moment. Um, could anybody choose, in the Old Testament, could anybody choose the vocation of a priest? 
any last person be like, hey, you know what? I want to do the priest thing. Was that, was that their prerogative? Did they have the right to do that? Yes or no? No. How did someone become a priest? But by being a Levite. And all the 11 tribes were totally out of it. Do you think they were jealous? They were wildly jealous. Listen to me. The priests were elevated. The priests were honored because they had direct access to God. They could go to those places. They could get closer. On, at one point when I was in Israel, a tunnel had been dug out by the Israeli government that ran parallel to the Holy Temple Mount. You understand that Jews don't go on the Temple Mount now because it's controlled by the Muslims. And so the Jews, whether it's at the Western Wall, are trying to get as close as they could to where the Holy of Holies was. So they dug this tunnel so that they could get as close as they could. And when you're walking through this tunnel that isn't open anymore, at the exact place that was parallel to where the Holy of Holies was, a few hundred yards to the east, there were prayers that were crammed into the rock because they were trying to get, what were they trying to do? As close as they could to where God revealed himself. Close as they could, as close as they could. 10 feet that way was not enough. They needed to get as close as they could to where God revealed himself. And so the priests had that privilege. They went inside the temple. You know the Jews didn't go inside the temple. They would give their offerings in the courts and the priests would take them in and then offer them because you couldn't even go inside the temple, let alone the holy place, let alone the what? The holy of holies. You could, only one priest once a year could go in there. They wanted to be where God revealed himself. They wanted to see God for who he truly is. Oh, closer, deeper. And so, <laughs> look, he's like, yeah, all y'all holy priests, each all, all y'all, you're a holy priest, my man, you're a holy priest, you wonderful priest, if you are, if you have repented of your sins and trusted in Christ, you have a new calling, you are a holy priest, a holy priest. You are a priest to your God, you are chosen you are equipped to be a priest to your god all of you each of us where does the priest enjoy that special privilege of god's presence in what place where in the old testament it was the temple but what about you, holy priest? Where do you see God manifesting himself in that special way? Where? Here. Here, together. Because we're called as holy priests. This is a new calling. It's a great privilege and a great blessing for us to receive. Two privileges as priests. The first I've already given you. What was the first privilege of the priest that they had what? Direct what? Access to God. And then Jesus, when he died on the cross and the earthquake shook the temple and the veil, you know the veil was over 12 inches thick. It tore in two. God's saying, you don't need a priest anymore. There's one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. And by virtue of the fact that you have placed unilateral trust in his merit you become a priest and you have direct access to god so go boldly before the throne of grace oh i fear that i take for granted what has been purchased for me because it's available to me all the time how foolish and hard-hearted am i but as holy priests we have the privilege to gather together 
you know it's not a building, right? It's a small group thing. It's a fellowship thing. It's certainly, when we're here like this, wherever we are, it could be even across town, it would be a gathering and convocation of a spiritual house of holy priests to our God. So the first privilege that they enjoyed was direct access to God. But there's a second privilege that priests enjoyed. It was the work of God. Okay, now hold on. As soon as I say that, when I suggest that the work of God is a rich blessing to God's people, I lose about 60 five percent of you check it off nope uh-uh not doing the worky work thing no nope, uh-uh i i am um, paid my dues when i was young or or this or that or i travel or i don't know what it is but um hey do you understand that a new covenant understanding of work is privilege and joy and honor you are a holy priest and every priest in god's calling feels blessed and honored to do the work God is calling you, born again, friend, into his workforce. And you should feel honored to the core that he would do so. Teenagers, look up. If you've repented of your sins and you've trusted in Christ, why aren't you pulling it down for the Lord? At your school, in God's house, you are a holy priest. You may be a young holy priest, but you are a holy priest to your God. And what do holy priests do exactly? It's right here. A holy priest to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Now there's a word in there that's kind of the, the hiccup. It's kind of the, the barrier. It's, uh, did, did you hear the word? It's like the, the hard one, the hard part. You're like, oh, okay, I got the priest thing. That sounds pretty cool. And I uh, got that God called me out. That feels special to me. But, but did you see what kind of offering spiritual, what was the next word? Spiritual what? God, it's sacrifices. So how would you describe a sacrifice? A sacrifice, the noun, is a what? Sacrifice. You with me on that? <laughs> you tracking? It's a sacrifice. Hey, let me tell you about David. David was a man after God's own heart, but boy, could he mess up. Holy moly. <laughs> it's not just one, not just the Bathsheba thing. Then he took a census. That was no es bueno. That was really lousy. That was really, really poor. And uh, so in 2 Samuel 24, he's going to make an atonement because God brought judgment on him for his pride and disobedience and rebellion for conducting a census. So David was going to make an atonement. And so... Atana was the name of a man who owned a threshing floor, and David came to this place, and he was going to use this threshing floor, which is, um, which is where you would bring a, build an altar and bring a sacrifice. And when Atana, this man, realized that it was David who wanted to use his land, what do you think he did? He's like, yeah, you can have it. Like, are you kidding me? Like, you take it. Wow, the king wants to use my zone? Like, hey, but dude, do your thing, man. I'll put up a sign. David was here, and we'll, have, we'll sell tickets, you know what I mean? It'll work out just fine. And he's like, just use it. Just have it. You can take it, you know what I mean? Whatever you want, David. You're King David. It's yours. And uh, David was honored by that. He said, I want God to bless you, but I will not offer something to God that does not cost me something. You're offering to your God is designed to be a sacrifice 
because it means less of us and more of him. Hey, don't make any mistake about it. God owns the cattle on a thousand hills, Psalm 50, and God does not need the work of man's hands, Acts 17. God, look, when I I say that God calls you as a holy priest to do something for him, he's not lacking, okay? So he has all the resources in the world. He's trying to draw you into the privilege of participation. I hope you feel that. That's the new covenant orientation of work. It's not a have to. It's a privilege. It's a delight. So let me say it this way. The degree to which you're uncomfortable that I am calling you to the work of a holy priest in the house of your God is the degree to which you, I don't believe, understand the privilege of being called by your Father into the task. His yoke is easy and his burden is light. To be yoked up with the Son, dear friends, the Son of God, is immensely glorious and wonderful. And forgive me since I'm a new friend. I don't mean to pry too much. But if you feel uncomfortable thinking that I'm pressing a little too hard, I would ask you this question. What are you trying to protect? What are you trying to keep from God's lordship? Is it your time? Is it your money? Is it your vacation? Is it your fun? I don't know, friend. I don't know what it is. We have a new calling, holy priests. This is ours. I'm so thankful for Harvest that is unembarrassed in its solicitation for people to be in small groups. Harvest Bible Chapel here in Granger expects 100% of the people that consider this their church home to be in a small group and 100% of the people that consider this to be their church home to be shouldering weekly kingdom responsibility. So I can't imagine that's new to anybody that's been here for any length of time. And so I'm just bringing you the scriptures that would once again support such a bold claim, such an audacious claim, maybe two hours on your entire week, which is representative of, of just over one and a quarter percent of your whole week. We're so bold to ask for a whole two hours of service to the king because he's called you a holy, a holy priest and joined you into the workforce. Here's my point. This is a value, this is a gift. Working for Christ is a privilege that God extends to you for you to develop in your relationship with him. How many of you have that testimony? When I started to work for him, when I got into a small group, that really changed everything for my life. Just raise your hand. Like that just altered my life. Do you see that's for dozens, scores of people in this room? And if you're on the outside thinking, ah, I'm too this, or I'm too busy, or too, too much, or I'm not sure. Find a Christ-exalting, Bible-preaching church and you dive in and you see what God does in your life. This is riches and value and thrill for us. I want to acknowledge also as I talk about working for Christ that there are scores of people in this room that are faithful flock leaders, children's ministries, workers, volunteers. I'm sure this church this size that there are many people that volunteer weekly in many, many different capacities, giving of their time freely for the glory of God, serving sacrificially, pulling it down in the shadows, in the quiet, just for their king and their master to know. Are you shouldering weekly kingdom responsibility? If you are, the Lord is pleased by your spiritual offering and your willingness to bring a sacrifice. And do you see what that becomes for us? It becomes, this spiritual sacrifice becomes acceptable to God. What a thrill. 
what a thrill, what a privilege, and what an honor, acceptable to our God. Through Jesus Christ, only through Jesus, none of our deeds are meritorious, nothing that we ever do is acceptable in and of itself, only through Christ, but he accepts it by grace and for the honor of the Son. So again, we're searching out four values of making church first. We've talked about spiritual growth. We've talked about this new calling. Spiritual growth was being built up together, bricks together. We've talked about this new calling. What's the new calling? Our new calling is calling as a what? As a holy priesthood. And let's consider the third. The third gift of riches is precious value. You won't want to miss this. How does God view Jesus Christ, the chief cornerstone, in verse 4? But in the sight of God, the living stone, the cornerstone, is what in what in verse 4? What does it say? Chosen and precious. Let's look at verse 6. For it stands in Scripture, God says, Behold. Hey, he's like, hey, check it out. This is going to happen. God says, Behold, I lay in Zion. It's not like I'm planning. It's not like I may be. It's not like we'll see how it works out. No, no, no. Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious. So how does God the Father, how does he esteem Christ? He esteems Christ as, what's the word here? Precious. This is such a beautiful word. This word refers to something of inestimable value impossible to even put a price tag on. So beautiful, so aesthetically heightened, so dynamic in its worth, it's timé, it's precious. If something's precious to God, it is precious indeed. If God has said it's valuable, by all means, mark it down, sell what you have to sell, and buy that asset. If he says it's chosen and choice and precious, then it is for sure precious. Is the cornerstone precious to you? Is the Lord Jesus Christ choice in your heart? Because he is the God the Father. And he is for us who believe. Look at verse 7. Uh, I like the ESV. We're, we're, we're all working out of the ESV, aren't we? Is ESV translation? Yeah. Um, so there's a, a small matter here. It says, so the honor, same word, precious. This precious value, do you have the NASB? This precious value is for those who believe. It's the word precious. The word in verse 7, translated honor, it's a good translation, is the same word translated precious in verse four and precious in verse six. Do you see the linkage? Let me break it down for you. This, this is so great and kind of our Father. So God says, I have this cornerstone, choice, chosen, precious, of inestimable value and worth, worthy of honor, and it's mine. It's my stone, and I lay it down, and I do what I want to do with it, when I want to do with it, it's my son. And I lay down my son with authority. 
But then, in a masterful stroke of God's generosity and grace, he's saying that preciousness becomes yours through belief. And all that is Christ becomes yours through belief. This honor, this precious value is for you who believe. It becomes yours, part and parcel. All the components of Christ and his preciousness and his glory becomes yours as we glorify him as living stones, spiritual house of God built on the cornerstone. That is riches indeed. And that happens through the church. You see, in the church is the place where we see God's mercy through God's merciful people. The church is the place where we see God's powerful truth through truth tellers who love us in the truth. In the church is where we fall down and we receive the healing grace of God through the people of God supporting us. Do you see how the church is this precious value as we believe in Christ and rely upon him? See, what I'm trying to do in part in what Peter's trying to do is to link up two very important features that are so sadly disassociated for lots of people. What's typically disassociated is I love Christ and I'm a Christian. Separate from that is whatever my commitment is or isn't to the local church. Those are separate. And the Bible won't let you do that, bro. It won't. It, and let me tell you why it won't let you do that. It's not trying... The scriptures aren't trying to control you. They're trying to liberate you. God isn't trying to make you do something. He's trying to get all of Christ into your life. That's what God wants, and that happens in the local church. Augustine says it this way. Every man that has God as their father has the church as their mother. It's linked up. Then let me say it this way. If you profess to be saved by Christ, then what is most important to him is most important to you. And if God says that Christ and this building, the chief cornerstone and all the spiritual house, if this is at the center of God's plan, it must be at the center of our plan. Center of our budget, center of our calendars, center of our choices, center of our determinations. John Stott says, we can never dare to move to the periphery what God has placed at the center. And do you see that God himself has placed not only Christ, the chief cornerstone, but the entire spiritual edifice at the very center of his plan? It's in the middle. Is it in the middle for you? Is it in your middle, housewife? Screaming kids tugging on your apron throughout the day. You're just trying to get a meal on the table and they're losing their minds. Is it in the center for you, businessman, as you travel? Is it in the center for you, college student? Is it in the center? Because it is for God. And this is this precious value that becomes yours when you put at the middle what God has put at the middle through belief. You see what you have to do to allow God's centerpiece to be your centerpiece is you have to disbelieve lies and believe the truth. You have to turn off what I want how I want it, the way that I want it. you got to turn off all of those things. Disbelieve self-interest. Disbelieve pride. Disbelieve what I want. And put at the center, God, what you want. What's right by you. And we're being told what's right by him. 
this precious value. And when you put it at the center, what he puts at the center, I want to accent again that this precious value becomes yours. It's yours. It's all yours. Single mom, it's all yours. It's all yours, struggling heart. It's all yours, doubting friend. It's all yours through belief. I know Trent personally, your pastor, I esteem him tremendously, and I'm so grateful that he labors long with you to define biblical belief, that he de he's deliberate in helping you understand the difference between cultural belief, which is like, yeah, I agree with a few facts about Jesus. He was born, he lived, uh, you know, 2,000 years ago and died on a cross, and see, the culture says that belief is like, then you're in, you're a Christian. The scriptures say something completely different about belief. What's at the heart of belief? is reliance. What's at the heart of belief is fidelity. Fidelity to God, God's priorities, and God's glory. Here's the reality. Do you see here in verse seven that God wants to bring value to you? Through belief, he is willing to pour all of the value of Christ into your life. And you will never be put to shame with that value. I woke up this morning and in my communion spot, the place where I gather to commune with my father, I found this. My seven-year-old son wrote me a note. Poppy, that's what he calls me. It makes me cry when I hear it. Poppy, I love you. I opened it up, and, and this was inside it like this, a, a marker. And it said, this is for you, Poppy. It is for your Bible, because I, when, when you open the text, get, break it down in the text, you know what I'm saying? This is just a book with English words in it, you know what I'm saying? There's nothing sacred about this, this paper. So like, get some pens out, like, like chop it up and break it down, and so, so I do that. And so I got my whole set of pens, it's, it's a whole ritual, it's really over the top, but um, this is for you, Poppy, this is for your Bible. To Poppy from Dax, this is his name, he's the best. This is for you to keep. I hope you love the blanket I gave to you too. He had put a blanket aside for me to use because it's cold in the mornings. Yeah, he's seven. And truly, as God is my witness, all of my children are that precious. So wonderful. And by the way, this is, this is just for free. Uh, no charge for this, but... <clears throat> um, I would exhort you highly, if you have kids, you want to have kids, to know exactly what the scriptures say about Bible rearing, about child rearing. I don't think you can rear the Bible, scratch that, about child rearing. What does it mean about discipline? How does it mean to love them and train them in the fear and admonition of the Lord? Break it down and your riches will be multiplied. So, so he, he, he left me this note. In fact, I didn't realize that this was part of the gift. You see, for, for uh, seven-year-olds, like markers are like gold. You know what I'm saying? It's like it's a sword and then they like keep it and they have like a stash. And, and so I didn't realize that this was a part of the gift. I didn't understand. It was wrapped like this. I didn't get it. And so I left this behind, but I brought the note because I just love my son. So I left the house uh, this morning uh, to come here. And, um, and I'm... And I'm uh, I'd left about five minutes into being gone, I get a call from McKinley, one of my older daughters, and Dax was on the phone crying tears. He said, Poppy, you left marker. 
You left the marker. His tears were coursing down his cheeks, crying. You left the marker. You left the marker. What was Dax wanting to do for me? He was wanting to bring value into my life, a blanket and a marker for my communion with my father. And I, had, I, I just didn't get it, and I left it behind, and he was broken. He was brokenhearted. I turned right back around. I was like, oh, see you, champ. You know, I'll be home tomorrow. No. Uh, I turned right back around, and, um, and I said, I'll be home in five minutes. And I opened the garage door. He came running out with this mark, and he said, this is yours. See, this is your God. He wants to bring value into your life. He wants to shower you with blessing. He wants to overwhelm you with all of the precious value that's in Christ. But trust me, you will find that as you dedicate yourself to his purposes and what's important to him, including the local church. You do harm to yourself as you distance yourself from what's important to Christ and God and the Holy Spirit. Take those steps, lay aside your thing, put his thing forward, and you will have precious value indeed. Indeed. So there's these four values to putting church first. Spiritual growth, a new calling as holy priests, a precious value in Christ. And number four, a safe haven. What Peter does next is really jarring, frankly. What he does next in teaching us about the value of Christ is he turns in a very different direction. Up until this point, he's saying, you are living stones, and you are connected to the cornerstone, and you have embraced Christ. You have trusted in him. But now he's going to talk about those that he mentioned in verse 4 that reject the chief cornerstone. Look at what it says here in verse 7. To those, so the honor is for you who believe, but to those who do not believe, listen to me, if you do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become, has become, for sure will become, and is the chief cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word. Right now, I'm going to plead for you to believe in Christ. Because if you're doubting, if you're new to church, if you're a young person and you're being tempted and dragged away by the world, I'm asking for your attention for five minutes, four and a half minutes, because I need you to feel the horror of rejecting the chief cornerstone. Listen to me, hear this. God's purposes will be fulfilled. He is not thwarted by the foolish people that reject the chief cornerstone. He will establish the chief cornerstone. Where and will he will establish it? So at the point at which the builder, the foolish builder, sees the cornerstone and the layout of it, and it's like, no, I'm going to reject that, and I'm going to put it over there, and I'm going to build my own thing right here is the point at which God will drop that cornerstone right where he'll drop it, and he will overwhelm you in judgment in the process. It becomes, Christ becomes a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense for those people that he wants to bring value to you. He wants to bring blessing and salvation on your life. But if you reject him, don't reject him and don't disobey the word. Turn to Christ. Trust in Christ. He will win. He wins. He is the chief cornerstone. God has never been challenged, never once. And what he wants will come to pass. And if he establishes the chief cornerstone, please accept my pleading and build your life on the chief cornerstone. Start today. Start right now. Turn away from yourself and your sin and your foolishness and say, oh God, I'm a moron. I've been rejecting your son. I'm half a stooge. Maybe I'm a whole stooge. But, <laughs> but I, I need your 
salvation and your mercy and your kindness. I repent of my sins. I trust in your purposes. Young person, turn to Christ now. How many more times do you think that God will plead with you? Hard-hearted man, turn to Christ now. You will not win the fight with God. They stumble, and you will too, as you disobey the word. It will become, you'll be crushed by the chief cornerstone. When the chief cornerstone is designed to become your greatest blessing, what will you have? His judgment or his grace? You can have either. Tonight, you can have either. If you want his grace, every heart in this room, even believing hearts, repent afresh and trust in him anew, like we do every day. Right, saints? Every day. And if you've never done that, trust in Christ and stop trusting in yourself tonight. Christ is your safe haven. The community of believers is your safe haven. Come out of the cold, come out of the threat, come out of the danger and into his marvelous light and the precious value because those who believe in Jesus Christ, verse 6 told us, will never will never be put to shame. May we receive all the value that God ordains by putting church first. Pray with me. Father, we, we love you. We thank you. Your words are powerful to us. They help us. They confront us. They challenge us. They bless us. And I would pray that you would work a great work of kindness for some souls here this evening that haven't yet to believe in your name. I wouldn't want for any person here to have Christ as a stone of stumbling and rock of offense when he is designed to be their savior. Their savior. Be merciful to us, O God, and work in the power of your spirit, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.